0: You are Locked On Seahawks, your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcasts Network, your team every day. Greetings 12s, this is Corbin Smith, your host for Locked On Seahawks. Joining me for our Monday episode, my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. Hope everybody had an awesome weekend and stayed safe, had a good time. Really good weather out here in the Pacific Northwest. We're not burning into the turf like we were a few weeks back. And the good news, Rob, we are now less than three weeks away from training camp. So football is finally almost here. This episode is brought your way by Rock Auto. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. Visit rockauto.com and tell them Locked On sent you. Now for your lead story here on Locked On Seahawks. It's been several weeks since the Seahawks announced fans would be returning to training camp, but we now have official dates for those open practices. 12s everywhere, rejoice.
1: Yeah, it is finally almost here, Corbin. And, uh, you know, it, it's exciting. Uh, with training camp opening up here just a few weeks, uh, the, the Seahawks announced that uh, that they are going to be opening up training camp. They are going to be allowing fans to, uh, you know, to, to sign up to attend. Um, registration is going to begin this Wednesday. Uh, this Wednesday, again, uh, Wednesday, July 14th at 10 a.m. Pacific. Um, and so season ticket holders will have opportunity to reserve tickets for the July 28th and August 6th sessions um, through exclusive access on Tuesday, July 13th. But for the the fans that that don't have season tickets themselves, again, Wednesday, July 14th at 10 a.m. Corbin, I think it's going to be a hot ticket uh, matching the hot, uh, hot temperatures that are out there this summer.
0: Yeah, I always joke about this because before I became a full-time reporter, I did buy tickets for a couple of training camp sessions the first year that I moved out here. And I remember getting on right at 10 a.m. I got my couple of tickets and then I turned around and and quoting South Park and it's gone. There were no more (laughs) tickets available like five minutes into the festivities. So if you're listening to the podcast, you want to get training camp tickets you better be on there at like 9.58 and ready for whenever the button comes up that you can start buying tickets because they will be gone in a matter of minutes. I can guarantee that, especially this year when – Fans are just itching to get back to being able to watch football practices and games in general. The Seahawks are going to begin training camp on July 28th. So here we are on the 12th, just a little over two weeks away from that first on-field practice. And fans will finally get to return after being shut out last year. They couldn't go to training camp, couldn't go to any games, including the postseason game against the Rams due to the COVID-19 pandemic, and so another sign of normalcy returning. Looking at the full schedule, the Seahawks are going to have camp practices open to fans on Wednesday, July 28th, Thursday, July 29th, Saturday, July 31st, Monday, August 2nd, Tuesday, August 3rd, Wednesday, August 4th, Friday, August 6th, Saturday, August 7th, Sunday, August 8th, Tuesday, August 10th, Wednesday, August 11th, and Thursday, August 12th. All of those are scheduled to begin at 1.30 p.m. Pacific time. And so they've made that easy for fans knowing what time that they are going to be showing up to practice. Now, like usual, this is the way it has always been, at least as long as I've been following the team You need to arrive at the pro shop in the landing in Renton to check in an hour and a half before or a little after that. But an hour and a half before is when they'll allow fans to start checking in. And then they will bus you to the facility. You'll go out on the berm, get to watch practice, and then they will bus you back to the landing. So you got to be able to find your own parking spot, and then they will bus you to the facility In a lot of ways, it's going to be very similar to what we've seen from training camp in the past. The one big difference, unfortunately, if you are a parent bringing a child and you were hoping to get autographs. Now, maybe the Seahawks will have some pre-signed stuff that they will give away. I don't know how any of that's going to play out, but you will not be able to get autographs from players directly as they have done in the past. The NFL has still got a rule that players cannot be within 20 feet of fans. And so that completely eliminates the possibility of there being autographs. But those are the kind of little things that I think it's going to take a little more time before we start to see those things come back.
1: Yeah, it's understandable, Corbin. Obviously, we're, we're we're coming out of the pandemic. There's been a lot of strides that, that have been made. Just the fact that they're opening training camp up again for fans to, to be there in person at all, I, I think, is obviously huge, huge news. But yeah, it is a little disappointing. I mean, that's one of the things that that makes uh, attending practices at the VMAC such a rewarding experience for fans because you know the Seahawks really do a nice job of uh, you know kind of going through that that line and, and making sure they get some autographs, including some of Seattle's biggest stars I can't tell you how many times that we've all seen Russell Wilson kind of make that that jog over there to, to sign all of those autographs and I think that's one of the reasons why he is to Loved uh, member uh, of of the Seahawks. I, one of the thing about the the way that the training camp schedule has opened up that I, I'm particularly excited about is that mock scrimmage game. As we've talked about a little bit already, Corbin. The you know, of course, this year's NFL schedule has been changed. There's only going to be the three preseason games rather than the four preseason games. And with a, a Seattle roster that's Let's face it, it's going to likely have a lot of young and inexpensive players vying for very important roles. Then that, uh, that extra scrimmage that is scheduled for Sunday, August 8th at Lumen Field. Everything else, as you mentioned, is at the VMAC. But the Sunday, August 8th scrimmage, uh, I, we presume at least, is going to be a mock game that I, I think is going to carry even more importance than in past years.
0: And that was a game that was typically played. They had fans come out to the VMAC, or I know they were at Bothell. They were at Popkini Stadium a few years ago. They did their scrimmage. They haven't normally done it at Lumen, but I I think that this is the Seahawks saying, we want to play in front of our fans in our home stadium before the regular season. They want to give fans the opportunity to be able to get into the stadium, cheer on players, and and get – a first glimpse of the team before they even play another opponent. They'll play the Raiders on the 14th in Las Vegas. That's their only road game in the preseason since there's only 3 this year. That's the trade-off for having more road games than home games during the regular season. That's how the NFL has divvy that up and they plan to do so moving forward. But, yeah, that mock scrimmage game, that's going to be a big ticket. I think that one's probably going to be sold out quicker than any of the other sessions because fans will want to be able to go to the stadium and, and see their Seahawks in a game-type environment. And so not having that fourth preseason game, this is your replacement. You have your mock scrimmage game, which they did three of last year under vastly different circumstances. Now they'll have that one mock game. They'll get three preseason games, and then we're to week one, and they're playing the Colts, so we're just a little over a month away, a month and a half roughly, from the bullets really flying, and the Seahawks going to Indianapolis to face the Colts, and so if you can't tell, I'm extremely excited about it. The chance to talk real football, it's quickly returning, and I know fans are pumped up for the opportunity to be able to come back to the VMAC and be able to see their players on the field for training camp practices after a crazy 2020 season. When we come back in the second quarter, we're going to look at the quarterback position. We know who's going to be starting under center for the Seahawks. And thankfully, it's the same guy as has been there the last nine seasons. But we're going to take a look at some key questions of the quarterback position and make a few bold predictions as we kick off our training camp preview series. You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Are you looking for a way to boost your workout game? Are you seeking a delicious protein bar without the sugar and carbs? Enter in the Built Bar. 18 amazing flavors, including nut and non nut flavors. Some of the best ones caramel brownie, cookies and cream, apple almond crisp, peanut butter, double chocolate. You're going to have a tough time eating just one. These bars are covered in 100% chocolate, soft, easy to chew. It's great for the health conscious guy. Lose or maintain weight while indulging in a delicious treat. Bars are low-calorie, low-sugar, high-protein, high-fiber, and they're great for a keto diet. Remember to use the promo code LOCKED15 to get 15% off your order. Welcome back to the Locked On Seahawks Podcast, Monday edition. I'm your host, Corbin Smith, joined, as always, by Rob Rang. As we just outlined in our first segment of the show, Training camp is less than three weeks away. So without further ado, it's time to bust out our annual training camp preview. We're going to be breaking down position by position the entire Seahawks roster over the next three weeks as we gear up for the return of the Seahawks to the practice field and the opening of training camp. We're going to start at a position that... You know, when you look at the depth chart, there really isn't any drama. We know who the starting quarterback for the Seattle Seahawks is going to be. And thankfully, it is the same guy that has been under center the last nine years. All the drama that unfolded this offseason, the trade speculation, Russell Wilson's agent coming out, these four teams he'd be willing to go to and waive his no trade clause. But then Wilson says, I never demanded a trade. There's a misunderstanding. It, it was a crazy couple of months. They've put everything behind him, at least for now. Everything seems to be good, and so... Number three showed up at OTAs. He was there for mandatory minicamp. He's going to be there for the start of training camp as the quarterback for the Seahawks. And he's got Geno Smith as his backup. And of course, Danny Etling and Alex Magoo both being on the roster as well. So given everything that transpired there for a few months, all the madness, all the drama, the same four quarterbacks are going to be in uniform when Seattle opens training camp that were there in January.
1: Yeah, and that's the thing is that for all of the talk that there was going to be such turnover potentially, as you just mentioned, uh, you know, it is going to be the same four names there. It feels like it's going to be basically a re, a re, return to normalcy, um, and uh, and I think that uh, the Seahawks have to be really excited about that because Russell Wilson is a superstar. He is the best player on, on the team, maybe even the the greatest player in franchise history. Some people would say that that is a given. I, I don't know that i i think that it is i think that's one of the fascinating things uh, and among the questions we had to uh kind of talk about here i think at the quarterback position is how well does russell wilson adapt to shane waldron's offense and, and 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 i think that if wilson does take the strides that i believe that he's capable of doing then i think that he can absolutely shatter any doubt that that he is the best player in the, the franchise's history. I think that he can compete for MVP honors. And that's not just because I have this uh you know this just belief in Russell Wilson or necessarily even a belief in in Shane Waldron. I think that if you go back in history and you look at when when Brian Schottenheimer came to Seattle and was their offensive coordinator starting in 2018, that was Russell Wilson's best statistical season to date until he broke the franchise record with uh 40 touchdowns thrown um, this past season through a, then a career high 35 in 2018. So that suggests to me, Corbin, that, that Russell Wilson has the, is the the smart guy that, that his play has always proven him to be the instinctive playmaker. And you think of how quickly the ball is likely to be out of Russell Wilson's hands and Shane Waldron's offense, all of the weapons around him, how excited we are about this refurbished offensive line, bringing, Chris Carson back all of those different factors and why I think that that Russell Wilson is very likely to take the Shane Waldron's offense beautifully
0: that really is the biggest question at quarterback because we know who's going to be starting we know that Russell Wilson is going to be taking snaps from Ethan Posick there's no drama there in that regard but You just got to wonder how quickly he's going to be able to pick things up. I'm expecting there's going to be some rough patches early in the year. There always are when you change coordinators, but you've got a coordinator in Shane Waldron that hasn't called plays in a level higher than high school, and so I do think that you've got to have some patience early on. There are going to be some kinks that are going to have to be worked out here. I expect there are going to be some issues, some stopping and going a little bit here the first few weeks, and I think the Seahawks will be better for that late in the season once they've been able to get things rolling, get in a rhythm, but it's really going to boil down to can Russell Wilson fix some of the issues that plagued him in the second half last year? Most notably, can Shane Waldron get some of that indecisiveness that was really a problem late last year? Can he fix that issue? Is Russell Wilson going to be able to unload the football? Waldron, one of the reasons they brought him in is the emphasis on the quick strike passing game. Let's be more efficient in that area, particularly attacking the middle of the field. That's where your tight ends come into play. If Wilson's able to do that, they're able to implement tempo better, which that has been the One word that has been repeated by Pete Carroll and Russell Wilson countless times during this offseason. That was the number one calling card to Shane Waldron bringing him in. We are going to get tempo established. And if they're able to do that, the quick strike passing game is more efficient, in particular attacking the middle of the field. And we're not seeing Russell Wilson as often hold the football for an extended period of time. You can't completely limit that with him because we've seen some of the big plays that he's created doing that over the years. But They've got to curb it back a little bit and have him be a bit more willing, scheme things up so that he can get the football out of his hands, and that'll help with your whole getting hit too much issue and make your offense that much tougher for defenses to be able to stop.
1: Yeah, no question about it. I mean, that is the plan. I mean, at least that's what I cer- certainly expect. Uh, you know, as you mentioned, Corbin, Shane Waldron has not been calling plays at, at this level. Um, we have some beliefs of what his offense is going to look like based on uh, what he did with the Rams. And that that was always one of the things I thought that the head coach, there, Sean McVay, did a great job is is uh, convincing Jared Goff to get the ball out of his hands very quickly. Um, and, and so I think that you can expect that, that, that to carry over in fact, that's one of the uh, the, the bold predictions I'm going to be making um, in, in a couple of minutes of, about Russell Wilson and, and Seattle's quarterbacks is going to very much have to do with pass protection and getting the ball out quicker. Um, but one of the other questions I want to kind of talk about that I think is interesting is, is, is you know, does the drama that Russell Wilson and his agent and their actions, whether intentional or not, does all of that drama creep into training camp? And are we going to see, uh, let's face it, the Mike Florios, the pro football talks of the world, are, are they going to be able to drum up enough drama uh, that that winds up taking over as a major storyline? Or is everything going to be as smooth as it sounds like things have been with, with Russell Wilson and Pete Carroll, as you talked about? You know, just focus. Focusing on the tempo and the reality uh, of, of the situation, rather than just uh, ra- rather than allowing the, the this situation to uh, again kind of rear its ugly head and prove a distraction to this club
0: we know there are going to be certain media outlets that are going to continue to hit the dead horse with a baseball bat. They are (laughs) going to continue to drum up interest in this. And you mentioned one particular name. We know that Mike Florio, I think he, like a week ago, had another article out talking about this. I mean, he just cannot let it go. And so maybe he does know something that nobody else does. And we do start to see some signs there might be some tension in training camp. We didn't see any of that at OTAs and mandatory mini camp. Of course, those are very laid-back situations anyway, far different than training camp. I'm not anticipating that we're going to see any issues unless somehow – This offense from Shane Waldron that's been raved about up to this point, if the wheels start coming off early, we have seen this with offensive coordinators before where there's some friction between the head coach, the coordinator, and the quarterback as they're trying to establish something new. If that happens, then maybe we could see things get a little bit animated. There may be some problems that crop up during the season. But I I anticipate that Russell Wilson and Pete Carroll, these guys are both professionals. They are going to handle this as professionals. I don't envision this being something that's going to create distractions. I think you're going to see a motivated Russell Wilson doing what he always does, and that's going out and practicing 110% and doing everything he can to try to get better. And I expect Pete Carroll's going to be doing that as the head coach, chewing his bubble gum, and he's going to be making sure that everybody out there is competing. So I don't see this being an issue unless there's really drastic things that happen with trying to implement this new offense. That's the one thing I think that could maybe lead to some issues. I don't see it happening necessarily. The other big question for me, and I don't even know if it's a big question, but as far as the quarterbacks behind Russell Wilson, Geno Smith coming back on a one-year deal, third year with the team, you fully expect that he's going to be the backup. Alex Magoo and Danny Etling are going to be in camp, but it, it feels like this is one of those situations where those two guys are going to be competing for one practice squad spot. Is there any way that one of those two may be able to do enough to at least push Geno Smith in training camp?
1: I think there's a possibility, but I, I certainly would be surprised. I think that Geno Smith, frankly, is, is one of the, the league's better backup quarterbacks. And, you know, obviously in Seattle, because Russell Wilson has proven incredibly Cal Ripken like durable, um, then, then we haven't seen what Geno Smith can do, but you know, he does have um a starting experience and high level starting experience. Now he's not a superstar. It's very clear that Russell Wilson is your starting quarterback. But I, I think that, that Seattle takes a great deal of comfort in knowing that they have a, a quarterback who was drafted to be a starter, was a starter, um, you know, in the NFL, that, that he is your primary backup. I think that he is the eyes on the sideline that that a lot of starting quarterbacks really need. Um, Master of the
0: coin flip too.
1: (laughs) <laughs> That's absolutely true, Ab- absolutely. And so I think all those things play into it. I- I'm intrigued by Magoo uh, as well as Etling. To me, Magoo is a little bit more Russell Wilson like, and that he has that that improvisational ability to him, a little bit of dual threat uh, ability. Whereas Etling is just that kind of classic drop back passer. I really like his touchdown in the field. He reminds me a little bit more of Geno Smith, and that he's a guy that I like better in the pocket. Either way, I think it's going to be a fascinating uh, competition between the two of them because. They, they do have different skill sets, so I think it's going to come down to their mind who really knows how to get the football out quicker um, and, and take better control uh, or take better care, I should say, uh, of the football during training camp and, of course, during those preseason games. To me, it's going to be a fascinating battle, but I very much expect Geno Smith to be the primary backup, and then, as you mentioned, Corbin, likely have one of these other two quarterbacks uh, be duking it out to be on the practice squad.
0: Yeah, at the end of the day, it really won't matter if things hold from the last nine years because being a backup quarterback in Seattle might be the most boring job in the entire league, and I anticipate it's going to be Geno Smith's job again. More than 30 career starts. I think he's got more arm talent, clearly, as a former second-round pick out of West Virginia than either of the other two quarterbacks. And, and Etling, I would argue, is not necessarily a pocket passer, as, as you alluded to. Maybe he's a little more comfortable there than what Magoo is. But both those guys are really good athletes. And Etling actually moved to receiver briefly for the New England Patriots earlier in his career. So mm-hmm. that has always kind of intrigued me a little bit as a project quarterback. But these are two guys that neither one of them have a regular season snap in their entire career playing quarterback. So could they play well enough in the preseason where another team might have interest? Absolutely. I just, I don't see any way unless unless Geno Smith gets hurt. I don't see any way that either one of those guys is on your 53-man roster as a backup. It's going to be Russell Wilson. It's going to be Geno Smith. Real quick, before we get to the third quarter, bold prediction time at the quarterback position. What is your bold prediction for Russell Wilson going into the 2021 season?
1: Well, rather than just kind of specifically give you numbers, um, I, I do think that it's very likely that Russell Wilson exceeds his, the, the career-high 40 passing touchdowns um, from a year ago because, of course, there is a 17th regular season. To yeah. me, the more important statistic is I, I think that, uh, that Russell Wilson and Shane Waldron's offense is going to get the football out of his hands a little bit quicker. I, th- I expect Seattle's amount of sacks allowed or hits on Russell Wilson to drop significantly this upcoming season. I'm going to go with the touchdowns
0: because, to me, you you mentioned the extra game. Obviously, that's the caveat here. But I I think that this is going to be a historic season, potentially, for Russell Wilson. I'm not going to go as far as saying he throws 50 touchdowns. But I think he's going to get very close. So I don't think he just breaks his own record. I think he shatters it this year because I think he is going to take to this offense. Maybe it starts a little bit slow as they're trying to get acclimated. But I think once he gets used to this scheme – the windows are going to be there. I think there's going to be opportunities for those big plays that evaded them late last year to come back because teams are going to have to prioritize stopping that quick passing game. I think Russell Wilson throws 48 touchdowns, and I think he's going to throw less interceptions this year because of the style offense they're going to be running. I think he goes 48-10, and 10, so he's wow. going to have a better touchdown-interception ratio. I just think this offense sets up favorably with that extra game added on top where We're going to see him be a little more careful with the football, but at the same time, he's going to get the ball out quickly. And I think with the receivers he's got, there's the potential for a lot of big plays after the catch. That's something that Seattle has not done the last couple of years. So I'm going 48 and 10. If he puts that up, the Seahawks have a really good shot to compete for one of the top seeds in the conference and potentially make a push in the playoffs this year. When we return in the third quarter, We're going to continue our 90-player countdown. We are now going to be advancing into the top five, number six and number five today on our show. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. With the ever-increasing numbers of makes and models, it is now impossible to stock all the parts you need in a traditional chain storefront. Why endure often pointless or seemingly intimidating questioning and wait while the counterman orders the parts on his computer, choosing the only brand his warehouse happens to carry? You have computers with access to rockauto.com and in your pocket. rockauto.com is a family business serving auto parts customers online for 20 years. Go to rockauto.com to shop for auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers. Best of all, prices at rockauto.com are always reliably low. And the same for professionals and do it yourselfers. Why spend up to twice as much for the same parts? Go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car and truck. Right, locked on in their How Did You Hear About Us box so they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. Rockauto.com. Welcome back to the Locked On Seahawks Podcast, Monday edition. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. Joined, as always, by Rob Rang. Continuing our 90-player countdown, we are getting very close to the finish line, and it's fitting with training camp being less than three weeks away that we are now entering the top five Seahawks. We've got number six, number five. Going to start here with number six, dropping a spot from this time last year. We had Tyler Lockett as our number five player last year, and in July, there was a certain safety we'll be talking about in a minute that was not on the and so that's kind of changed things a little bit. But I'm going to number six, Tyler Lockett. Statistically, another fantastic season for the star receiver. A franchise record 100 receptions a year ago, over a thousand receiving yards for the second straight season. Ten touchdowns. He and DK Metcalf both had ten apiece. So he had an outstanding year. But when you look deeper into the game logs and you see how things played out. It was a much different 1,000-yard season for Lockett than it was the year before. Almost a quarter of his production happened in the two games at Arizona. He had 200 receiving yards in a loss to the Cardinals. They had another big game with 90 receiving yards against the 49ers when they played in Glendale in the final game of the season. You take those two games out of the equation, had a little over 700 receiving yards in 14 games, which for a lot of guys, that would be good numbers. But that was not on par with what we've seen from Tyler Lockett. It just seemed like you add in the fact there were seven games, he had less than 50 receiving yards last year. It just seemed like he was more hit and miss than we are accustomed to. They're going to need more consistency from him in the 2021 season.
1: Yeah, I, I really like the way that you just broke that down about uh, Tyler Lockett. I think that if you look at his end of the season statistics, then uh, you know that they were truly remarkable. As you mentioned, a, uh, a Seahawks record and obviously a personal best: one hundred receptions. Um, that was on one hundred and thirty-two targets, which is also a personal best for for Tyler Lockett. He, he had a, a ten thousand, or excuse me, one thousand fifty-four yards receiving. He had just a couple of yards below what he had a few years ago, tied his career high with 10 touchdowns. But then it was troubling, however, how inconsistent that he was. And, you know, you you, you cited that the Cardinals game in which he had 15 catches, for 200 yards he only had one other game all season long and when he even got to 100 yards and that was a nine catch 100 yard performance against the Dallas Cowboys so other than those two games Tyler Lockett never had a 100 yard game during the regular season a year ago and I don't know that you necessarily would think that considering how good his statistics were over the year he was kind of the Mr. Reliable but at the same time also very much Mr. Inconsistent. And that, that's such a, that, that it's so weird to say those two things at the same time, but I think that's what Tyler Lockett was when, when Russell Wilson needed somebody to get open, Tyler Lockett can be that guy, but he didn't take over games with the exception of those two. The way that uh, that I, I think that his statistics would suggest, the way that his reputation would suggest, I think it's absolutely critical. If Russell Wilson is going to have the big numbers that that we just kind of boldly proclaim that he might this upcoming season, I think Tyler Lockett has to be even better uh, this upcoming year and uh, see if those 10 touchdowns turn into 12 or 14.
0: It's just like the rest of this offense. And I don't know how much you can really blame Lockett for this. Just the way things were the last eight regular season games where the entire offense was sputtering and number three was not playing well. The receivers are going to be impacted by that. DK Metcalf's numbers, we'll talk about him later in this countdown at some point, but both of these guys were on pace for numbers that I did not expect them to stick with. I did not expect them to both get to 16 receiving touchdowns and, 1,400 receiving yards apiece. Like, I did not expect them to both reach those numbers. But at the same time, especially for Lockett, it did seem like when the offense really got stagnant there, he was affected by that as much as anyone. And there were just a lot of games where he kind of disappeared. And it's crazy saying that when you consider how many targets that Russell Wilson had for him. It's not like he wasn't throwing him the ball. It was just, it was a bizarre season. And I don't anticipate that we're going to see a second year like that from Tyler Lockett. I think there is going to be more consistency. I think more emphasis on the quick passing game. He's so good at unlocking himself in tight coverage from the slot, especially he knows how to get open. I think he's going to be a master at some of the stuff they're going to be running in Shane Waldron's offense. That will help him. And I think that in the long run, that's going to make it easier for him to get some of those deep balls that we just didn't see many of from this team in general in the second half. And so I don't expect that same consistency issue in this offense and I could see him putting up better numbers than he had a year ago as a result at least in the yardage category I expect a bit more from there 100 receptions might be tough to to hit a second time but we'll have to see how that unfolds now going to number five flipping to defense I mentioned Jamal Adams he was not a Seahawk at the time we did this countdown last year there were some rumors circulating that maybe Seattle might make a deal but we had to wait a few more weeks it was right before the start of training camp that he ended up coming over in that blockbuster trade. And obviously with him in the middle of negotiations for a new contract, that's been the big storyline. It's going to continue to be the big storyline. Does he get his extension? Does he hold out if he doesn't get his extension? We don't know how any of this is going to play out when camp opens. But assuming that number 33 is going to be on the field for the Seahawks starting in week one, and he's going to be ready to go in his second season, recovered from his offseason surgeries, we know that he he is a rare playmaker at that safety position. We saw him get an NFL record, nine and a half sacks as a defensive back, and he did it in just 12 games. We saw the energy that he brought to this defense, particularly in the second half. And to me, that's the big reason why I can justify, aside from what you gave up to get him, that's the big reason you can pay the money that he's looking for, because I think he's one of those players, the passion and the energy he plays with is so infectious. And you could see that in the entire defense When he was healthy the second half last year, everybody was feeding off of it.
1: Yeah, it really was. I mean, he's absolutely the energizer bunny out there, and and that that uh, that passion is infectious. And imagine how much more it might be infectious, um, you know, when you have the the fans back in the stadium. Um, just because there's just some guys that they just play at a different level of, of energy, and in Jamal Adams' case, production. And at the same time, I think that this is going to be absolutely fascinating, and it's kind of like what we talked about before with Tyler Lockett and how inconsistent that that he was and that he is reliable, but at the same time for all of those yard receiving yards, again, only two games, over hundred receiving yards, only three games, uh, eight of his 10 touchdowns came in three games. Uh, Same kind of thing here with Jamal Adams. You, You mentioned the fact that he set the new NFL record with nine and a half sacks from a defensive back in only 12 games. What is more concerning to me, Corbin, is the fact that now that's three years in a row that Jamal Adams, well, excuse me, at least the last two years in a row that Jamal Adams' injuries have jumped. He he started 16 games each of his first two seasons with the New York Jets, then 14 games two years ago, dropped down to 12 games this past season. It's just a, it is a little bit of an alarming, uh, you know, track record now of durability issues. And, you know, I've used this analogy before, and I apologize. There's going to be some Seahawks fans out there who aren't old school Mariners, but the old school Mariners fans are going to remember a very personal, uh, personable um, right fielder, Jay Buhner, who played incredibly hard. He was the kind of guy that would run into the the wall to try to make the big catch, but he also got hurt a lot in the one of the things I worry about with Jamal Adams is that you almost have to protect himself uh, fr- protect Jamal Adams from himself as, as Pete Carroll used to talk about with Chris Carson that way and that he will run through a wall for you and so I, I think it's appropriate that we're talking about Tyler Lockett and Jamal Adams back to back because with Tyler Lockett he's been the picture of durability despite the body that suggests everything otherwise Jamal Adams is the guy who plays with the type of toughness and grit that you're looking for but is he going to get himself hurt if he can stay healthy I, I think this guy has a chance to be an absolute super super superstar you know an NFL, nfl defensive mvp kind of a player um and absolutely justify the the first round picks the big contract the seattle is willing to, is likely willing to give up but at the same time i also think that seattle is it's a very dangerous situation for the seahawks to put themselves in here and, and so because this is a team that already is i, I believe it was ranked 18th um, or I'm sorry, ranked 11th, uh, 11th, uh, among all NFL teams in the contracts that they're already giving their secondary, at least according to spot with 34 and a half million dollars, roughly. So knowing that you're going to have to give Jamal Adams a lot, lot, lot more money and the durability issues are there. You know, that that's when, to me, one of the things that's going to make this a fascinating season from Seahawks fans.
0: I do think the durability is something that's worth moderning. I don't know that I'm as concerned about it as you are because, yes, he's missed six games over the past two years. He's had a number of injuries And he's a smaller guy to be playing up in the box. So that makes him all the more vulnerable to it. So I understand that. But to me, the thing I'm most concerned about, and I know he took offense to it when Joe Fan of NBC Sports asked him about the coverage stuff early last year. I thought he was a lot better in the second half of the season in coverage. And I still think he can be a plus cover safety. He's not ever going to be one of those guys that you're going to be dropping back in single coverage. That's not taking advantage of his skill set and his strengths, his uniqueness. But I would like to see major step a major step forward in his coverage skills. I think some of that had to do with comfort with the scheme last year. We have to remember how late he arrived and having a abbreviated training camp, no preseason games, not a lot of opportunities to really get this defense down. And I felt as the season progressed and he got healthy that he was able to do a better job in coverage. And obviously last year I have these numbers out in front of me. Quarterbacks completed 80% of their passes targeting him last year, 121.7 passer rating. Pro Football Focus ranked him 58th out of 67 safeties in coverage. And honestly, for all the beefs I have with Pro Football Focus, that doesn't seem like that is very far off the mark to me based on the film that I've watched because he did have major struggles in coverage, especially early in the season. But I did see him look more comfortable in that regard, and I think he's going to be much better much better in his second season playing in the system in that aspect. If he's able to continue rushing the passer, making plays against the run and being disruptive, and he's better in coverage, then he's going to be right in the mix for first-team All-Pro again like he was two years ago. He was a second-team selection last year in spite of his coverage issues he had early in the year. This guy is a bona fide superstar, and the Seahawks are going to pay him. The question is going to be, is it going to be before camp, early in camp, before week one? We got to see how all that plays out. But I I expect the Seahawks to show him the money for a big reason. This is a big-time player that they expect to be a cornerstone in their defense for the next several years. You don't give up what they did trade-wise if you're not envisioning him being that guy. So he's going to get shown that money, and then he's going to have to prove to them that he was worthy of that contract. Make sure to check out the Locked On Today podcast on the Odyssey app or wherever you get podcasts hosted by Peter Bukowski. He updates you on the latest news in every major sport with the help of our local experts, all in under 20 minutes. You can follow me on Twitter at Corbin Smith NFL. You can follow Rob at Rob Rang. Check out Locked On Seahawks on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and the all-new Odyssey app. That's A U D. ACY when we return for our Tuesday episode we're going to flip over to the defensive side of the football and we are going to look at the cornerback position in our training camp preview we're also going to look at numbers four and three on our 90 player countdown thanks for listening in enjoy the rest of your Monday go Hawks